Hello, and welcome to the Counter Press Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Kinsey, and with me, again, as always, is Josh Cacho. What's up, man? Not too much. Like I said, always good to see a $15 million defender give up four goals. For those of you who don't know, uh, Aaron Long is worth $15 million, according to the New Jersey Red Bulls. And that did not look like $15 million to me. I sent out a picture of that Josh actually had to hook me up with. We took a picture of Mark Anthony K's then now disallowed goal. And uh, the defending does not look fundamental, if you ask me. So I would agree, Josh. How's your heart rate right now? Um, settled after about the 60th minute, I think. Um, you know, obviously it was a up and down game. It was an exciting game. I said fun to watch. Um, definitely a battle between the two coaches with the skinniest jeans in the league. But, uh, you know, at the same <laughs> two time. Two coaches that were angry. I mean, angry tonight. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm still trying to figure out what they were mad about. But, you know, like I said, Bob, Bob's always angry. So, yeah, kind of just I was trying to read Chris Armis's lips. And it just seems like he kept saying, why are you talking to me right now? Why are you talking? Why are you talking to me? Uh, fourth official had to come over and get in, involved. Uh, it was it was interesting to see that. Yeah, interesting um, enough, right? I think he played, I think Armas played for Bob at in Chicago um, when, oh, they won, when they won the cup. Yeah, so I, they were talking about Armas and Jesse Marsh both come from Bob's coaching tree. Mm. All right. That is actually really interesting. Well, we're here to give you our instant reaction to the uh, 4-2 drubbing of New York Red Bulls. I think that only leaves two two teams in the league that we haven't beat yet, correct? That would be NYCFC and Galaxy, Yeah, I think, I think that's pretty... I don't think those are the last two. So we've taken one more name off the list. Um, and to be honest, it was a, it was a nerve-wracking game. We went up two real fast, and... I was thinking, hey, this might be like Atlanta where we put up four in 12 minutes. Um, we seemed to come down off that high pretty quick and gave up two right before the half. And I was panicking, like full on panic mode, because I felt like whatever they were doing was just completely undoing, had completely undone us. And I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to put the pieces back together again. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing was that you you saw glimpses of what you know, LAFC is capable of in terms of, you know, not not obviously always having to play on the counter press, you know, where they're coming high octane, turning people over in the, you know, in the attacking third, but at the same time also being able to kind of play through and play some good possession football, um, which was obviously what led to those, you know, I mean, again, again more offset pieces, but you the buildup was there. They were getting into dangerous positions and all those things were coming along. Unfortunately, Again, it was came down to one or two little moments that led to led to the goals from New York. Again, it was given what we've seen, you know, in some of the losses we've had this season. That's basically what it what's been the difference between you know win or a loss, or you know, or or even a draw for that matter. Um, you know, whether it was the NYCFC game, whether it was this one, you know, whether it's the Carson game moments moments that we tend to you know just make bad decisions do do dumb things you know have led to some led to some unfavorable results you know again in unfortunately for us in this game um not unfortunately but fortunately in this game we were able to you know dig down kind of figure things out start to kind of smooth smooth over the cracks 
and definitely looked better, you know, towards the second half, took more control over the, over the midfield passing looked a lot better. Um, again, it was, it was one touch as opposed to taking two or three touches of which was leading to some of the problems. But, you know, obviously I think it was a good test against a team that was going to bring it, come at you for 90 minutes. Um, we haven't seen that in a while, right? Given the majority um, of teams that we play in MLS outside of what Atlanta, um, New York, NYCFC to a certain degree, but it's hard to tell because, you know, you're playing in a hockey rink essentially um, in mm-hmm. at Yankee Stadium, you know, that, that are actually going to, you know, try and come at you. But again, when the majority of teams are going to play, you know, with 11 guys behind the ball and counter, again, I think you get a little bit complacent, you get a little bit lazy. And again, you saw it again, you know, in this game, again, you know, we've been beat because of those makes, mistakes before. You know, in the in the Carson game is the 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 biggest one of that's evidence of that. This one didn't hurt us nearly as much, you know. But you know, obviously, they said yeah. those moments yeah. gave us a little bit of a scare as well. Yeah, I I do feel like this game was a good one to to have right now, where we're kind of over this lull, at, you know, the, through the end of the summer. Um, we're coming into the home stretch of the of the season, and we need something to help us kick it up into gear before we get into the playoffs. And I feel like beating a team like Red Bulls in such fashion where, you know, you give up two pretty devastating goals and you come right out firing K's goal. I'm not sure if that should have been called back or not. Um, But I mean, he does, he does trip the defender there, whether it's incidental or not. And uh, so you, you score one is pulled back in the first like five or six minutes in the half. And then you get two more to wrap it up. Um, so I definitely see this game as one that could be a springboard for the, for the last section of the season here. Carlos Vela gets his 23rd and 23rd goal. And I guess 14th assist, correct? Mm-hmm. The, do I have those numbers right? So he's now tied. He, Giovinco I said, oh yeah. yeah. For, he's, I think he has tied because he had the three. So yeah, he's at 38 combined goals and assists for the season. So one more puts him at the all time um, goals plus assist record yeah we still have 10 games left like this is (laughs) this is this is insanity to be quite honest with you uh diego rossi has a pretty good game he comes out for josh perez uh who man i if there's one guy i want to see get a goal at this point it's him because i feel like he's got to see one hit the back of the net so he can uh get the monkey off his back um but I think he takes an unfortunate touch to the outside. Robles did a good job of pushing him it. wide, and you know, in all fairness, like mm-hmm. you know, pushes him out wide. And I think it was Tim Parker that hustles back and clears it mm-hmm. off the line. So, you know, like uh, I said, it's it's an unfortunate, it's unfortunate, but at the same time, it's also, I think it was the the perfect example as to why you know this team has been playing so well together and the chemistry has been there because your best player has been that unselfish to be willing to give up the ball in that spot. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, for those of you who may not have seen the match or have forgotten at this point, Carlos Vela picks up the ball around midfield, maybe just behind midfield. Uh, and he does sort of this high step. It was really cool to watch him get away from the tackle. Um, some hard challenges coming in on him from Kamar Lawrence. And I don't think it was him on this play, but somebody comes sliding in and he just kind of high steps away from him maintains his composure and plays in this beautiful ball to Perez behind the, behind the line. Uh, but Perez isn't able to finish it. 
Um, other goals, we had Latif Blessing again. That's two weeks in a row for him. And I think that came off the beta shore. Yeah, assist, that was right? an absolute dime. Um, you know, I think this, the, yeah. to me, this was the game where the fullbacks really shown. I mean, obviously, you had Harvey score on the initial set piece, but beta shore in terms of just his positioning, just what they are. Those two, if anything, were the ones that were the most composed comparatively to our midfield for in this game. So honestly, you know, mm-hmm. you have to think that without those two guys in this game, that the outcome may not be, you know, what we got. Yeah, and another underrated thing I think in this match was uh, Beta doing a lot of emergency defending when Blackman was out of out of his position. Again, he's young; he's playing center back, which isn't his natural position, but. I think he did an okay job, but definitely having Beta Shore there as a veteran defender to kind of pick up where Blackman was leaving his spots and and you know not having his grace his greatest night was a big factor for me in this win. Yeah, I think you saw you know again if you watch the, the that side of the field he wasn't near he wasn't overlapping nearly as much as usual, obviously because. I think Kamar Lawrence was basically he was tasked with just shut trying to shut Villa down along that right hand side. So it wasn't like he was pushing into attack. So it didn't really give a ton of room for overlap, other than I think there was maybe one play where Villa tried to flick it over to him, you know, um when he was making a late run to the far post. But at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, it's definitely one of those things where I I think I believe it was the Houston game where he did something similar where rather than push up, he kind of slides into that back three, sits down and just kind of, or in, so yeah, slides into that along the back three. Harvey was pushing up um, on the on the left-hand side, um, which again, just allows for a little bit more, more width, you know, and again, just making sure that we're a little bit more defensively sound, which I think was ultimately the adjustment that they made that kind of limited some of the, um, the counterattacking opportunities from New York. Yeah. Yeah, um, we. I, I thought one thing that I thought was interesting is we really didn't have a whole lot of goals from open play. I think it's just the one from Blessing, yeah, because we have two set piece goals and the penalty with Harvey and Segura, and then the penalty, yeah. Um, which kudos to the guys for scoring a couple set piece goals because that's hasn't necessarily been our strong suit this year. No, and you know, um, and the, the Red Bulls definitely made it made it difficult, right? I mean, again, the way that they were pressing the midfield and just kind of I don't even know what the how how to describe it you know how the midfield played you know it definitely wasn't their best game and um and again a part of it is you know how often do you see a team push up that high right this is probably the last time you're going to see it for a while um you know Carson does it to a certain degree but then even then it's from more of a mid block rather than mm-hmm. rather than from like an actual press and so you know again I think they were a little bit unsettled they playing some bad you know pretty poor passes taking too many touches again i mean that was the that was the first goal was latif with the ball at the top of the box takes one extra touch loses it and right. next thing you know right um you know they get a they get a nice the free shot on goal and so obviously tyler miller could have probably could have got to it but at the same time i honestly don't put that one on him at all um you know just because they no, can't. i mean the thing about red bulls is when they the reason they play like this is they win the ball back and they're able to spring a counter immediately. This is what they do. Um, and I don't know that Tyler Miller even knew, could even see what was going on 
in in that moment. I, I think they picked up the they pick up the ball. I think it might be one pass, and then I don't even remember who scored it, but he just turns and fires, and that was it. Yeah, there were it was like Latif lost the ball. There was like one or two deflections, and then immediately it was just one touch, and then back you know back of the net. Mm. So mm. you know, like I said, I, I I put that more on the midfield. You know, again, it, it's to me that one's a goal that's reminiscent of the, you know, that the the one the Zlatan goal where, you know, where where Latif loses it in the corner, you know, and then tries to fire out a bad pass that gets intercepted, which leads to the cross to the back post, right? That type of just mental miscue that leads to scoring opportunities, you know, and I believe that it happened almost what a few one or two plays later where. um you know, another ball lost in the midfield and Tyler has to make an, a great save, you know, to keep mm-hmm. to keep the score at 2-1. You know, unfortunately, they give up the yeah. second goal later on. But at the same time, you know, the way that, you know, the, the way that the midfield played today just, again, wasn't, didn't give you much room for comfort, didn't make you feel comfortable going into, you know, another stretch of, you know, a couple of tough games, right? We have what... um RSL next week. San Jose. San Jose, RSL, and and Carson. And then Galaxy. Yeah. And I think yeah. the San Jose one yep. is midweek leading into mm-hmm. it, right? So you just, have, you know, you have to think that, again, San Jose, the way that they're playing is going to continue to put pressure similar to what you saw tonight. They're, you're not going to, the midfielders aren't going to have the time to turn and look and, you know, and play these beautiful through balls. You know, you're, you're going you're gonna to have pressure in your face all day. And then obviously it'll help to yeah. have Walker back, which he will, you know, he should be for the next one uh, after missing tonight's game with the yellow card accumulation. But again, it's it's one of those things where again it's a, it's a crack a crack um, in the foundation, a chink in the armor, however whatever saying you want to use, you know. And the question is, does does the four goals, you know, paper over it, or is it something that they're going to continue to work on and find solutions to make it? you know, to make it better as they head into the stretch run, right? Because again, those are the things that get exposed, especially in a one-off, you know, one-off MLS cup playoffs. Right. Right. I, for me, if you're asking me, I don't know that you are, but I'm going to go ahead and answer. I feel like tonight is one of those nights where it's like, okay, this is, this is, this is winning football where you have, even if you are scoring on set pieces, I think, you know, if a team try, comes in and tries to bully you, you now you have a couple more, uh, a couple more options uh, to score in these set pieces. Where both Harvey and Segura, who have I don't think have scored at all this year. Yeah, they said it was Harvey's first uh, goal in goal. two years, and it's Segura's first goal mm-hmm. in MLS period. Yeah, so there. I mean, now you you're getting looks for both of them on the ball where they get goals. And then it's Atuesta that, that earns the penalty. Normally, you're expecting to see Rossi or or Vela or sometimes Dio earn those penalties in the in the box. Uh, but it's Atuesta, and he's combining yeah, that with was, Segura. By the again. way, so, which is a phenomenal I, back back heel by Segura to set that one up. Yes, yes. Uh, when I first saw him, so far forward, I was like, "Oh no, is Blackman yeah. all by himself back there? We can't be doing this." Uh, and then again, a little flick there. Uh, Atuesta does well to get it forward. And is just cleared out by Buckmaster. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Uh, just pretty brutal defending there. Um, 
So we earn that penalty and then the goal from Blessing. I think Vela plays in the first ball. Beta Shore is there with another uh, well-hit cross that bounces around a bit. But they're, I mean, then you have Latif doing his typical Latif thing, just hustling and putting the ball where it needs to be. So that was, I, I for me, uh, I saw what I needed to see in terms of do we have enough firepower to get past, you know, some of the art defensive uh, slip-ups. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, right, not every game is going to be pretty, you know, and these are some of the games that, you know, to win, to win, you know, and I can think, I don't know, it, this kind of goes to that larger point of, you know, how we, what's more important, the Shield or, or the MLS Cup. But, um, you know, at the same time, like, these are these are the wins you have to have, you know, to really just cement your place and, you know, and, and win and show that you're the best team in the league, right? Because again, not every game is going to be great. You're not always going to come out with your best effort. And the question is, right, on your on your 80% night, can you beat someone else's 100, right? And mm-hmm. over the last two games, we've basically come out with a B-minus game and still beat teams that are playing close to their top, you know, whatever their bet, their top potential is, right? You know, which is an, an encouraging sign, right? But the question, but at the same time, obviously we want to also make sure that we win you know, for those big games, whether that's, you know, the, the, the derby game or a playoff game or whatever it may be, right. Are we going to be able to bring it because thus far, right. LAFC have fallen flat in a couple of those situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel you mentioned something about, you know, is it just other, other teams not playing too well, or is it us? I do feel like the Red Bulls put in a good effort tonight. Um, Plenty of breakaway chances, uh, plenty of you know disruption in the midfield. Uh, I, I feel like their press worked really well against us, and we were able to do just enough to get by and create those opportunities. Let's uh, let's pivot here. Let's talk about where we are in the standings. LAFC now on fifty five points, and nobody else is even in the realm. Uh, of catching us, I think I think you can pretty much gift us the the supporter shield at this point because the next closest team would be Philadelphia, who has played two more games than us. They have forty five points, and I think NYCFC are the ones that are keeping the magic number where it is. They've played twenty three games, have thirty eight points, and that would make it possible for them to score seventy one. So magic numbers at 71, we're at 55 with 10 games left. Josh, do you see us hitting 71? I mean, by the numbers, I would say so. Um, you know, again, I think, like, what is it? The most, I think 538, the statistics website has it like a, like a 98% chance of winning supporter shield at this point. So, you know, yeah. again, barring injuries, any of those types of freak things that are, that could, you know, that obviously is, are always a potential, um, you know, there we're well on our way to you know yeah. winning the shield outright but then at the same time i think i think the goal is obviously to make sure we set the points record as well um right in, right in so 71 fashion. yeah 71 points coincidentally is the point total from last year for new york red bulls when they set the record um and again that would require nycfc to win out in their next 11 games which is very unlikely to happen. Nothing against them. It's just that's 
not likely to happen. 11 games, uh, not only unbeaten, but an 11-game win streak would be pretty unheard of. Um, what else? Josh, I know I know you had tweeted out uh, a, resp- or, or a, a call for questions. Did you end up getting any? Yeah, I mean, I think we had a couple, you know, just in regards to what we thought of Atuesta's performance. I actually thought he played really well. You know, obviously there's a couple mm-hmm. moments where he lost the ball. Um, I believe that was from Foot Bob um, at F-U-T Bobby, um, you know, who asked it. You know, he didn't think that Atuesta had a, be- a pretty, a very good performance um, and was the press keeping him out of sync. I think the whole midfield was out of sync when the press was really, was really hitting. But I don't necessarily think that yeah. was a, that was a factor of the midfield in that sense. I think that's actually more the press key coming from. So I, for those who don't know, um, towards the end of the first half, I believe on the broadcast, um, at least the Fox broadcast, they were talking about uh, Chris Armas was kind of shouting some stuff out regarding um, resting on defense or defensive rest. And basically what they're doing is they're holding their position until certain things happen. And that point, that's when they trigger their high press in in the case of LAFC, basically was anytime the ball went back to Blackman, they were flying towards him because obviously he did not have the greatest game in terms of passing, which I think disrupted the midfield's ability to now turn and look up the field and actually find our, our forwards in space. So what ends up happening is because you see that pressure coming, now you're you're running back towards our own goal, you know, again, which is never good against the press. So again, you're not seeing what's coming from behind you, but at the same time, given the amount of pressure that they're putting on, you have to put yourself in a position, you know, to receive those passes and then open up. Atuesta actually played fairly well, in my opinion, um, in terms, you know, of, of the three midfielders, he probably played best um, from a possession perspective. Obviously, Blessing had his goal and was, you know, had some some nice little moments there, but at the same time, his inability, you know, his extra touch is what led to a goal as well. So, Again, like a little bit of an up and down performance in that from that perspective, but you know, in my opinion, I think he actually played fairly well. And again, uh, did did all the midfielders have their moments in terms of just looking bad against the press? Absolutely. How much of it was on the defense for putting them in bad situations? Hmm. I would say probably like fifty fifty at that point. Yeah, yeah. I definitely feel like Blessing had a rough game despite his goal. He looked good defensively, made plenty of tackles, but on the ball, I don't know if he was quite ready for the for the press. Um, so I agree with you there, and I, I yeah, I'm I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what you, what else you would have done in this game ahead of time to prepare for how intense their pressure is. And I think with Blackman there, I think Chris Armis just you know like a heat seeking missile saw that as the the blood in the water and just pounced on it. Um, I did get some responses I sent out from our counter press handle on Twitter. Tycho BNG says sloppy game, but I'll take the three points much better. Second half. What was the adjustment that you uh, are? Excuse me. What was the adjustment? I'm trying to make this in English. <laughs> what was the adjustment that you saw Bob make? I'm going to take some license there. They look tired too, or maybe just a good Red Bull side. Tip your hat. Pitch looked like crap. Miller is not having is not giving me confidence, and love to see Harvey and Segura score. I would imagine. Um, I think we're gonna have to tackle the adjustments in our in depth analysis. I, again, I already said that I think Red Bull 
played a good game, and you do have to tip your cap to him. Uh, plenty of people asking about the pitch. There was a Mumford & Sons concert about eight days ago, and we tweeted out a picture of that concert where you will see thousands of people on the field, and I'd have to imagine that's what it was. I feel like you can see, in, um, if, you, if you're looking at the side in front of the 3252, um, you can actually still see the outline of the stage you know, heading out into the, into the, mm, yeah. into the pitch. Yeah. So <laughs> I think they may have to do some shuffling, some more shuffling when it comes to uh, scheduling summer concerts there, but, uh, or maybe, I don't know, maybe they can bring in new grass. We'll see. So the man from NIMBY, I hope that answers your question as well. Thank you for sending in a tweet. We also have a tweet from at Chrissy Pooh. Why do you think there seems to be moments of miscommunication with Miller in the back line? Seems to seems like this problem didn't exist before he left for the USA call-up. I definitely feel like there's still some shaky moments there. I think that's probably exacerbated on a night like tonight where you have Zimmerman out um, and Blackman is there playing yeah, center back. I don't back think it's a coincidence. Kind of yeah, I don't think it's role. a coincidence that Miller's best game was when he had um, Beta on the right Harvey on the left, and then Segura, you know, they're the starting line from starting back line from the beginning of the season, you know, basically all three. And I think the last game was the first time we'd actually seen that since the beginning of like, since like maybe the Portland game, you know, I want to say um, that they've Mm -hmm. had all four of those guys back there because even in the Carson game, I believe it was um, Blackman outright in the Carson game that was playing right, right back. Um, and then in the Atlanta game, Cisnega started. So again, I think, I think a big part of it is just, you haven't actually had the cohesion of everyone having been available, you know, for a long time. I think, um, the broadcast alluded to this, that Bob talked about, this is the first time in practice that they've actually had everyone available. Um, and again, and they, and they, it just available to practice, let alone now when you get to the game time, then you don't have, you know, Walker Zimmerman, who's, you know, at this point, probably runaway defender of the year, um, you know, in front there as well. Mm-hmm. So again, with him missing, you again, I, I think, I don't think it's a coincidence again, that Miller plays his best when Walker and Segura are in front of him with, with beta and, and Harvey. I think he just is more comfortable with them, just has better communication and understanding of where people are going to be. I think you get a little bit too much, too much, um, you know, guessing when as to positioning from Blackman at times. So I'm, I'm sure that has something to do with it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you have a more rational and sound take on it, because if I was allowed to talk and answer that question, it probably would have started and ended with, "We're going to blame Greg Burhalter." Yeah, That's the I end mean of it. It, it, that too. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not opposed to that answer at all. Because I think, just so you know, uh, we do plan on on recording podcasts after you know in a similar fashion to this, an instant reaction to uh, the U.S. national team games. And I am so ready to light up U.S. soccer. So there's a little tease for all of you to come back after the next friendly, um, because I have a feeling me and Josh are gonna <laughs> kind of let loose more than we would on LAFC. Yeah, especially if Sergino Dest doesn't get called up, I'm going to be furious after. Josh, it. we're not going to talk about that right now because <laughs> we're staying positive. Okay, LAFC stay on task. Stay on task. This is instant yes. match reactions. We allow for I, a little we bit. Got to save the rants. Yeah, <laughs> save the rants. 
the last tweets I got were from uh, at Jeff Bamaka. I hope I'm saying that right. If I'm not, I'm sorry. And uh, we'll give you your money back for the podcast. He says, one, we gave up two goals back to back before the half, similar to Atlanta. This worries me. We get unorganized, but it seems like LAFC stayed organized after that, which allowed us to counter their counters. Perhaps the key was the patient buildup. Uh, I do agree that we that we uh, were quite undone at the at the end of the half there, and I'm looking forward to going back and looking at what happened tactically. Um, I do know that it, it was probably about the 20th minute or so. I looked up at the screen. Red Bulls were on the ball, and we were in a perfect 4-3-3. We have Atuesta deep, K off to the right, and Blessing to the left a little bit before him. And then Dio was pushed up farthest up the pitch with Brosi and Vela out on the wings. And I thought to myself, wow, that's more organized than I've ever seen them. Did you notice that, Josh? Yeah, actually, it's, we were, I was actually having this conversation with um, someone and talking about how Bob allows for so much freedom of movement, which often leads to some of the disorganization on the defensive end. Um, you know, which a big part of that is because of the attention that Carlos Vela is drawing, you you almost have to move him around at times. And again, it, you can tell when they sit into the formation, It again, it does clean things up. It does allow for a lot more stability. But at the same time, does it is it always going to get you the desired results on the offensive end? Again, that that's the question I think, and then I think that's probably why you see a little bit of that, you know, disorganization, if you will, just because, you know, again, Vela hunting for goals, hunting f- for opportunities to make plays, um, is going to float, is going to be all over the place, which now has that front mm-hmm. three rotating. But unlike teams that usually allow for front threes to rotate in that same fashion, whether that be Liverpool, whether that be Manchester City, they usually have a pretty stable you know, diamond in the middle of the field. But Bob also has our midfield three rotating like crazy. So again, that's probably why you yeah. see some of that that miscommunication and disorganization. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, the back line is usually the one that stays intact, but without having Walker there to kind of organize things and kind of line things up, um, that's probably why you're seeing what, you're, what you are in that sense. Yeah. Uh, and then Jeff hit us up with another one as well. Just like Josh pointed out, so he's shouting you out. There you go. We need to be able to do both, read the game, and see what is required. We played very creatively, which made it fun to watch. And then two, why did New York line up to the left of the field in a very compact form? A little weird. Again, I think that's probably one we'll have to get into in our in-depth analysis. Um, so, Jeff, make sure to hit us back when we call out for questions on our uh, before our next episode. My assumption, if you know, why are they on the left is probably to overload the side where Vela is and take away some of the, the direct passes that will, that we would have been sending into him. Yeah. I mean, I think Um, there's a reason why you saw Rossi, Harvey and, and, um, and Dio just have tons and tons of space on one side of the field while the other side is completely stacked over it. But it also has to do with the fact that Carlos Vela has scored 23 goals and has 14 assists. So that, uh, in all honesty, I you know, like I said, if you're an opposing coach, you got to try whatever the heck you can to stop them. Right, right. And uh, I think it's a, I think it's important to note that Mark Anthony K disallowed goal came. Vela was on the left hand side; he'd floated over. Uh, and I, I just really think that that's a look that we're going to have to see more more frequently from now on. 
if uh, if Vela is going to continue to be, you know, the primary playmaker, which he is. Maybe Brian Rodriguez is going to draw some of that attention, kind of even things out again, but keep looking for that. I think Vela was also central when he played that ball to Beta Shore for the, on the blessing yeah. goal. So it'd be interesting to see where he started that play, whether he was on the right wing or... If he started, started on the right and then floated inside, I believe. He, I mean, again, he's okay. he's moving quite a bit. Again, and again, it sometimes gets a little bit too close to Dio, or he'll float underneath Dio, which is fine if the width is provided, you know, by by mm-hmm. you know by Beta Shore or whatever it may be. So, you know, it it really just, I think the biggest thing that we have to you know you have to kind of watch out for is with a rotating and flowing front three. That you just have to have a little bit more stability from the midfield, and again, that's the one thing that we lack at times. Is you know, with you, you often see just everyone pushing forward, and then basic, and then again, we're left with Jordan Harvey, you know, in no man's land, you know, or in tonight, you know, in, or Tristan Blackman tonight, which mm-hmm. you know, at least Blackman has a recovery speed in the Atlanta game. You know, Harvey's having to make some some veteran level, you know, hustle plays to just just keep things, you know, keep things where they were. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think there are a few pieces of news. We did not talk about this before the show, Josh. I'm sorry. I'm going to surprise you with this. Uh, but before we move on there, do you have anything else on the game or are you good? No. I mean, like I said, um, keep an eye out um, for our full analysis and re- and um, in-depth look at the game coming out probably on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. All right. All that being said, a few pieces of news. Uh, the transfer window closed last week. We brought in Brian Rodriguez and also a man named Diego Palacios, a uh, young Ecuadorian defender, uh, left back. Um, and this one kind of snuck under everybody's radar. I, apparently, we filed the paperwork on time on Wednesday night, but it, nothing was announced. Actually, have has the team announced that one yet? I don't know no, that they have. No, it's supposed to be tomorrow from, okay. from what, I've, what I read. Okay. Um, but from all the, I mean, you have all the verified sources saying that it's a done deal. I think they were just working out a few of the details. Um, again, I spent probably way too much time at work watching, <laughs> watching, uh, film on him. Uh, and I am pretty excited. He looks like a dynamic attacker. He looks like a guy that's a, a good one-on-one defender and like he's got pace. So, I mean, everything you really want in a fullback in Bob's system. What about what do you think about him, Josh? I I think the the thing that I felt I was more most surprised about is who we ended up stealing him from, right? So if, mm-hmm. for those that didn't see some of the news that had come out, um, we ended up taking him from Barcelona, who you know I, I believe is because they had just signed another left back from Real Betis in Junior Firpo. Um, he didn't really see a path to the first team, and so. LAFC made an offer, you know, I believe it was a TAM, TAM level signing, so not a DP, um, you know, again, which should allow some of the people worried about Rossi to, you know, breathe a sigh of relief, even though really wait until the 25th of August to, to really, you know, take that full deep breath because that's when the window closes in Italy. Um, but yeah, so I think the biggest thing is um, if they're able to compete at the highest level against teams like Barcelona, I think Ajax was actually after him as well. And I, there was one more team that was, there was another top level team. You know, again, big clubs in Europe that are known for developing talent. Um, we're all after him yet. He decided to come to LAFC. So 
again, this is another step in the right direction for the front office. How they're making moves, how they're going about things is a good sign going forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing I wanted to talk about, too, is the, the overall strategy here. I don't know if you can just chalk it up to El Munir getting injured and then all of a sudden us going out and finding a left back. Um, John Thornton did an interview on Inside LAFC with, I think it may have just been Vince. I don't know if Max was on the show as well uh, in that interview. But JT talked a lot about how they they have kind of a long scouting process and they have guys that they target are, you know over a long term. And if the deal is right in a transfer window, then they're going to pull the trigger. So to me, this seems like, you know, maybe they know something that we don't about Jordan Harvey retiring soon. Um, but I think this is an opportunistic signing where we we set, we found a guy who was available that we've been scouting that we'd already liked and went out and gave him money. The Tam, the Tam deal to me shouts that uh, he's going to be the starter before too long. Probably, I don't know if it'll be this season or not, but I would imagine next next year he's going to be the the starter at, at left back. Um, and again, he looks pretty exciting. Imagine now having, you know, a really dynamic attacker as a fullback. So all those times you see Jordan Harvey getting forward and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, it's worked really well the past two weeks. Uh, but somebody that's really dynamic and take on defenders 1v1, uh, can play in great crosses um, and just overall be an exciting player. Uh, it's a... It's a pretty tantalizing prospect, if you ask me. Yeah, and I, like I said, I think, I think what it, I think we were starting to see a little bit over the over the course of the season as Harvey slowed down a little bit, you know, like given the just he's been playing a lot and he's been in a lot of games and at his age, you know, you really want to just save his veteran experience for some of these these games and save his legs for games that matter. Um, and so I think what you'll likely see over the next, you know over with the, the le- 10, 10 games left in the season mm-hmm. um, with 10 games left, right? You'll probably still see Harvey feature in the majority of the bigger profile games, just because again, you don't want to, to ruin the guy's confidence at the moment. Should things go wrong, you know, look back at Andre Orta in the, in the sec, you know, in, in, with the back pass, right? You just don't, mm-hmm. you know, you can, Harvey's not going to make that, that play. And so, you know, or if he does it, he not, you know, or even if he does make a stake, he's been in the league for so long, it doesn't really matter to him, right? Like he's it, he's going to be able to, you know, move right. on to the next one. You're not going to yeah. destroy so, his confidence. For sure. And so I think, again, what, it, what if anything, this, for this season alone, allows you to save his legs, you know, and then at the same time, um, you know, develop a guy, you know, likely for the next year at minimum, Um to you know that should or develop the person who likely will take over that starting role given and you're paying him probably around a million dollars you know between 800 and a million i believe is about the usual the usual 10 level level deal yeah yep so i mean you'll have two tam players on the back line uh for the moment we have three dp attackers i think that may move to just two before too long uh somewhere in the winter transfer window i'd imagine and you might see another DP in the central midfield. Uh, again, we can save this discussion for the postseason. I think it'll be fun to, to talk about these different things. Um, and then the last piece of news is Christian Ramirez was traded to Houston. And scored a goal today. And scored a goal. Had a very Christian Ramirez game, by the way. I don't know if you watched it. 
No, I just saw him score but, a goal uh, and then how, and then watched everyone on LAFC Twitter ask where that was last week. <laughs> well, uh, shortly before he scored that goal, he also had a pretty brutal miss. Uh, brought the ball down uh, with a, you know a fair first touch, and then a complete swing and miss inside the box on what probably should have been another goal. So LAFC Twitter just. Calm down. We're going to be just fine. For as bad uh, as that miss probably was, and even his one at Seattle was, um, look no further than U.S. men's national team striker Jazzy Zardes, who at the, I believe in the, the game had four chances to win the game and did, came up with uh, zero and all. Uh, so yeah, you know, uh, again, we'll save that rant for Zardes. the for the national team one. But yeah, Zardes also had quite the cross. I think if you probably just search on Twitter. (laughs) I mean, just absolutely airmails it across the field. Um, I did want to share a quick story real fast about Christian Ramirez. Uh, He gave me one of, or he gave my kids one of the happiest moments of their young soccer fandom. Uh, We went and saw the U S men's national team play in Phoenix against Panama. And that's the game where both Zimmerman and Ramirez scored and my kids were elated. I live about two hours from Phoenix, so they were elated the entire way home. Just thrilled to death that two LAFC players uh, had scored goals for their country. Um, and that was an awesome moment for me, too, to be able to share that with them. So, Chris Ramirez, thank you for that, at least. And best of luck in Houston. Josh, do you have anything else? No, I think, like I said, we'll, we're, we're going to have to rewatch this one, go deeper into it, and then like I said, we'll be back on Wednesday with a more in-depth look and probably start to overthink a lot of things heading into next week. <laughs> right. I think we probably will uh, be overthinking everything. Uh, you can follow the show at counterpress underscore on Twitter. We will follow you back. Uh, you can email the show at the counterpress podcast or excuse me, the, the counterpress show at gmail.com. You can find me at Kirk Kinsey on Twitter and Josh, what about you? LAFC Josh. All right. So send us any questions or comments you have for the in-depth analysis. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.